When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like, it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at a song! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 89 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined as always by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. And I want to welcome our guest, who over the years and to this day remains a tremendous advocate for the game of hockey, whether it's promoting the NHL, college hockey, high school hockey, everything in between. You can hear him on ESPN doing play-by-play and watch him, of course, as an anchor and analyst on ESPN as well. John Bucci-Gross. Bucci, thanks for coming on. We're thrilled to have you. Brian, Scott, Bridget, good to be here. So, Butchie, uh, you'll be coming up to Boston uh, this week for the Frozen Four. And we don't have any local teams in it, which is a, li- a little disappointing. It's actually the, the first time there's been a Frozen Four in Boston without a Massachusetts team. But we do have a really strong field. Uh, four teams in Michigan, Minnesota, Denver, Minnesota State that have been near the top of the country all season. Uh, what's what's kind of your, your synop- synopsis of this field and – you know, how do you balance that with uh, maybe some of the lack of excitement in Boston specifically, you know, from not having a, one of the BU, BC, UMass, whoever here? Yeah, last time I was there, 2015, we had the, obviously the BU, Jack Eichel, Providence final, which was really cool. And this time, like you said, we won't. You know, I, I do kind of look at the whole sport as a, as a countrywide sport. So I don't quite feel probably that sting, even though being a you know, New Englander, my parents grew up in Southie and all my relatives have always been in the Boston area. That certainly would have added some juice um, had we had a Boston or Massachusetts or even New England team here. But these are four really good teams. I really believe it's wide open. Um, we have a massive amount of future NHL players in this frozen four like real high impact NHL players. So good brands, you know, obviously Michigan, Minnesota, um, really strong brands. Denver is an underrated hockey brand. I don't think the average hockey fan understands the long tradition of Denver. Small enrollment, 11,000 students that could be part of it. But certainly, you know, if we have a Michigan-Minnesota final, 
uh, which is possible, uh, that would be pretty big. It would be a good rating for us on ESPN2 Saturday night. So nationwide, I think it would have a little bit of impact with all those NHL players, future NHL players. So, yeah, a little lack of uh, regional juice, but um, it's, you know, good alumni who travel well and have means to travel. And so I'm hoping, curious to see what the, you know, the attendance and everything will be compared to last year in Pittsburgh. It wasn't quite a full Frozen Four feel, uh, but at least we had one. So I'm curious to see what will happen this weekend. Yeah, last week I was at the Worcester Regional and the Minnesota obviously beat UMass in that. And Minnesota seemed to have traveled pretty well. Do you expect the atmosphere to be as, you know, comparable uh, to if maybe a, a New England team was in there, do you think it's still going to be, uh, you know, uh, a nice atmosphere and um, the teams will travel well? Hope so. I don't know. Um, obviously, North Dakota travels better than any college team does. It's always plenty of juice when they're there. Um, but like I said, Michigan hasn't won in a long time, 98. Um, Minnesota hasn't won in a long time. These alumni, they make money. They're, they're pretty successful post-college. There's a lot of them, a lot of alumni. They churn out, obviously, being big Big Ten schools. Um, Denver, same thing, pretty good means. So uh, Minnesota State, certainly the, uh, the, um, you know, the, the, the smaller school, the unknown school from the average fan. But, man, they, they've, no one's won more games the last three, four years than them. So they're very – and they're an older team, which is the recipe for national championships. So I hope so. I, I hope there's good juice in the building. I'm, I'm always a little skeptical um, because it's easier to watch on TV. And, you know, we do a good job. We got over 20 cameras. We treat it like an NHL production. It's, you know, our director, our producer, high-end ESPN uh, production people. So we treat it like a Stanley Cup final game in terms of how it looks and the number of cameras. So it certainly is easier to watch on your couch. And while there may not be uh, a New England team, there are certainly local connections. Uh, one of those... Stars at Michigan is Maddie Beniers, who's from Hingham. Uh, and there's also, you know, the third line center, John Beecher, a first round pick of the Bruins. And I, but I want to get your thoughts on Beecher specifically, because you know, I think Bruins fans maybe look at what he's done in his time in Michigan. They, they don't see a lot of points, but he is obviously playing an important role. And, uh, you know, I know Mel Pearson has talked about uh, how much they missed him when he was injured earlier this season. What uh, what do you think of Johnny Beecher and, you know, what uh, the future might hold for him and what we might see from him in this Frozen Four? Yeah, he's not obviously when they brought all these first rounders in seven most ever. Uh, you know, his power play time disappeared, so he's not going to get power play time, which is when a lot of people at all levels get points as we accumulate points on the power play, and and they all want him. All these high end you know people, all these high end uh, players want that time. That's the one of the biggest challenges for these coaches is keeping these high end players happy because they all can't be on the first unit. But you know, I see Beecher at best bottom six fourth line guy uh you know i don't think he's as good as trent frederick in terms of stick and, and puck skills so you know his his ticket to the league is going to be you know bottom six grinding i don't know if he has a fighter in him like you know trent has helped carved out his career by fighting and that can help you gain NHL games. Every team needs a guy like that. And uh, so if he's willing to fight, he's a, he, you know, he was an early bloomer physically, always been very big. And that's why he's probably been given chances on these teams because he's, he's, he's physically big at a young age. So now it's just a matter of can he develop a little better puck skills, 
a little better offensive game to, to, to make it at the next level. So, you know, he'll certainly be at the American League level and get a shot there. We'll just see if he has enough offense to be able to get that, you know, bottom six, um, you know, playing time. And again, because of his body, he could get a shot early, but um, he needs to, you know, really start to show some offense. Bucci, um, Scott mentioned Beneers earlier. You mentioned the the seven, you know, first rounders at Michigan that they boast like, you know, Hughes and Johnson and Powers and and so on. And and for a non-Boston um, hockey fan, I guess you know, watch the Frozen Four for those reasons. I mean, the talent is through the roof. You know how how promising is the future of of the NCAA? You know, when it in respect to putting out these 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 high end players, which in the past, it was always the Canadian juniors, but obviously with Eichel and McAvoy and, and others. But as, as a huge NCAA guy, I'm, you must be like thrilled for just where the development of, of college hockey is right now and where it's heading in the future. Yeah, for sure. They have great facilities. It's a great way of life to experience, especially, you know, Boston should always do well, the Boston schools, because you get to live in Boston. That's a that's just a great perk and um, to be on someone else's dime as a young person and to be in a city like that. And then all the facilities, weight training facilities are so strong. Now you can really, the, the emphasis on skill development, uh, once you get to school, it's just a great formula to get to the next level. You know, it's better than, um, you know, perhaps living with a billet family or in, in Canada and playing a lot more games. It's better than the American league. And that's not a great way of life for a young person. Um, why not stay in college the extra year, taking advantage of the facilities, the weight training, um, you know, the, the residence, the free residence, the, you know, the whole free tuition, the, uh, working on your game, playing twice a week, working out all week long, developing your body, having a good social life with other students, other people, and uh, a more well-rounded person. Get at least halfway to a degree if you need that down the road. So, uh, yeah, it's just a great way. And I think more and more students are understanding that. It helps when Kel McCarr goes back for that extra year. Owen Power went back for the extra year uh, to, to really take advantage of that. And then you have a team like we have this year, which is awesome in Michigan. That's good for the sport, good, good for the brand of college hockey, and only helps to sell it to other young people who will watch this, you know, this weekend on ESPN, too. So, yeah, it, it's a great scene. It's a great way for them to develop. And, yeah, these are high-end people on Michigan. They'll be playing in the NHL when this after this weekend i'm sure veneers will sign with seattle and play some cracking games i'm sure power will go to buffalo and play some saber games you're going to see a lot of that and uh that's pretty exciting i wanted to ask you about uh one of those boston programs uh i'm a bu alum myself and obviously bu right now in the middle of a coaching change uh letting go of albie o'connell what are what do you think's gonna happen there? You get it? Get any insight? What do you think the future holds for BU? I think Jake Pandolfo kind of started to take over the reins, even this past year a little bit. Um, I think he's the likely guy to get the job here. I think they probably went David Quinn fishing. Might as well throw some lines in the water there. Obviously, it's not NHL money. It's not four-star hotels. It's not flying charter five-star hotels, and, and that it's a pretty neat way of life when you got a taste of it like he did. And it's a lot more money. It's a big difference, a life-changing amount of money. Um, but, you know, maybe if, maybe they thought, hey, maybe if we bump it up, a little couple extra 100000 
10-year deal or something, something really long-term. I know he loved the job. He didn't want to leave it. The Rangers just kept offering more and more money until he reached a point where he couldn't say no. So, But the NHL is the highest level of hockey. It's a great way of life. Um, and I, I just think he wants to get another shot at it, and he will. There's no question in my mind he'll get an, another shot at it. And whether it's Chicago or whether it's somewhere like this, he's so good with the media. Um, and he, he'll get that chance. So I would think Quinn will get the NHL job this summer and Jay Pandolfo will likely be named head coach soon after the Frozen Four. And on, so if it's okay, do you want to kind of transition into the, the Bruins side of things or do you have any other questions, Scott, or anyone? Sure. Well, let's, uh, so, let's, let's transition with a Bruins uh, NCAA link because, Budge, I know uh, you were in Worcester and got to see Western Michigan goalie Brandon Bussey, who the Bruins just signed. Um, what uh, what did you think of him? And what do you, you know, did, does he look like a goalie who might have an NHL future? Yeah, you know, he, you know, it's it's a it's a coin toss. He's a young kid. You know, we you know we meet with teams at regionals and the Frozen Four. They bring in like five or six players and we get to meet them and talk to them. And that's really been a great thing doing this the last 15, 16 years. You kind of meet these young men and then, you know, then they enter the NHL. And so I already have kind of a relationship, which has been kind of cool, especially now that we got the NHL back on ESPN. Um, yeah, I know a lot of these guys. I called a lot of these guys. I, I've kind of grown up with them on Twitter and the Bucci Overtime Challenge in college hockey since they were 12, 13 years old. Austin Matthews once DM'd me when he was 17. Can I have a Bucci Overtime Challenge t-shirt? <laughs> sure, Austin, I'll send you one. And um, so it's really cool. Oh, I, awesome. yeah, these are, they're like all my sons. I kind of I kind of look at them as my, my children. I want them to do well, and I want to support them and empower them. And uh, and so, so, um, so, yeah, so it's great to meet these, these, these guys. And so we sat down with Bussy. He was one of the five Western Michigan dudes who came in. He's a big kid, really likable. He's got a severely autistic brother, older brother, who's severely autistic at a, at a residence in Brooklyn, New York. He's a Long Island kid. So he's really, you know, grounded and, and humble and uh, to deal with this. And obviously he has a little autistic puzzle piece on his mask. Big kid. Um, he played well. He, he really played well against high-end talent. And, um, you know, he's, he's not completely, you know, your natural ath athlete in terms of just, you know, smooth. And, but he battles. He's got size. And, you know, you never know with these goalies. They, they come out of nowhere. It's a long-term project. It's a, what, what does he have the stomach for to keep showing up? Does he go to the ECHL for a year? Will he be willing to do that, going to these remote places? That's what it comes down to, the stomach for the profession and the career. But he's got size. He's got heart. I like how he battles. He's a good character kid. So, you know, it's one of the things you take a shot. You know, these are all molds of clay. These are, un, you know, these are just balls of clay that you try to mold into a player. And whether it's just a, a, a replacement player, whether it's a just above replacement player to help your roster out, or whether someone blossoms into the unknown, which can occasionally happen. So he's one of those guys you, you, you take a bet on. So you were on Gresham Keefe uh, just before the trade deadline. And, you know, you, you were one of the people who said the Bruins needed to go all in at the deadline. First of all, do you think they went all in enough? Obviously, they, they kind of went all in on defense. Um, but what's your assessment after the fact? Did they do enough, do you think, at the deadline? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I mentioned that they probably won't trade Jake DeBrusque and do that at a different time, which then they sign him to that two-year contract. And that scared me a bit because I thought, geez, maybe they will trade him now because now teams know what he's going to make the next couple of years. But that didn't happen. And so now we'll see what happens. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a change of heart. We'll see because uh, uh, he's been great. But, yeah, so they signed him to that two-year deal. And they had to go out to get Hampus Lindholm was a gigantic move. I mean, he's our second best defenseman. I and mean, if you go out and get a guy who's your second best defenseman, that's a big move. And to put him with McAvoy, um, that, that's just such a strong pairing. And so I thought that was a, a really, really strong move. And I think the other big thing they would have done in terms of, as you mentioned, to fill the definition of all in, it would have been a, a big debrush trade, whatever that would have been, probably that second line center they were thinking about. But now, you know, Hall has been good. And I think they're going to go with him and he's got a great personality. He kind of fits the room and he fits that line. And so now it's just a matter they have line definition now. They get two goalies. So they have to be really happy with what they have going into the postseason. I'm sure they probably would like to have one more impact forward, whether it's the second line or the third line. You know, the Panthers adding a Claude Giroux and you know, that kind of guy. If they could have added someone like that as well as Lindholm. But it didn't happen. So uh, so maybe they're just short of that all-in definition that I kind of proclaim there. But getting Lindholm was a massive move. And to get him for 6.5 was really a great deal by Don Sweeney. And just a quick follow-up for me. Um, last night, Poshnok gets injured. Frederick gets injured. Are we about to see um, how much they they may have made a mistake by not going and getting a forward at the deadline? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, it's possible. Um, but, you know, I think they feel like they still have enough. Uh, but not like any team, you can't afford to lose a guy like that. You know, we see what happens with Vegas. You know, they lose a stone and then a Pacioretty's in and out and suddenly they're a bubble team. And that's going to happen. So, you know, because of the hard cap, um, that's why these other teams like, you know, like Florida, that's why you really load up in case you get an injury. You try to fit it in if you can, but, you know, the bigger move, those are really insurance policies in case the guy goes down. So, yeah, we'll see. They obviously, without, they have to have a healthy posture. He's their most important player because he's their goal scorer. Marshall is their best player. You know, and then McAvoy, and then the and and but Pasta is probably their most important because they need him to score at that elite level. He was average to start the year, to slightly above average. Now the way he's skating and moving, it's such a bummer. I hope this is just a short term thing because he had that burst back in this game. I think playing with Hall helped uh, really because Taylor goes, you got to go to keep up with him, and and I think that helped Pasta's skating game. And he's just been blasting it. So, yeah, you know, he's got he got 13 days here. They're in the playoffs. It doesn't matter who you play. You're going to have a tough opponent. Home ice doesn't matter too much until you get to a game seven. So I think overall they got time here to heal all these wounds and hit the postseason running. Bucci, as a, um, as a 90s kid, I was over the moon when I found out that, that the NHL and ESPN were, were, were working together once again. And you bet your ass I tuned in right away for the um, the NYPD uh, fire department matchup <laughs> that kicked everything off. Which, by the way, you talked about how, you know, the NCAA, you know, the cameras at the Frozen Four, NHL caliber. I mean, the way you guys presented that game, with, it was yourself and, and, and Ryan Callahan. I'm, I'm blanking on who the third person was, but it was a great Kevin Weeks. Weeksy, yep. Weeksy, who, by the way, is now a viral sensation breaking, breaking <laughs> news. Um, so... I'm 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 ecstatic to hear the music again. You know the shows you guys are doing, the in the crease, all this fun stuff. And 
you must be very excited that in, in your inaugural season back with uh, ESPN and the NHL, that the parity going into these playoffs is, is you know, you have Colorado and, 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 you know, you have some teams that are, that are you know, established as probably the favorites, but, you know, they're all, they're all capable. Um, just talk a little bit about the, the playoffs being back on ESPN. You guys are getting, you know, coverage every series, and I also believe you guys have the, the, the finals this year. So, I mean, how excited are you for, for this spring? Yeah, it's a, it was a seven-year deal, us and TNT. We, we got the A package. We'll do the finals every other year, so we'll have them for four, and they'll have them for three. So we go back and forth doing those, the Stanley Cup final, and then we'll also have one conference final each. We get to choose the conference final. So once we get down to four teams, we get to pick which one uh, we want. Um, so that's kind of cool. And, yeah, it's just been an amazing year to be able to do play-by-play for NHL games. It was, you know, a dream come true. As a little kid, I would turn the sound down on the television and do play-by-play into a tape recorder. Uh, <laughs> girls love that. That's, it's a really way to get girls. So, yeah, that was really awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is kind of that's what, I, what I did as a kid. And so then for us to finally get it and, you know, opening night, doubleheader in Las Vegas, the first NHL game I ever did. You know, I was surprised they picked me to do it. Vegas in the, the Kraken's first game, game two of our doubleheader opening night. And I was surprised. I wasn't real nervous, but you know, I think once I put the headset on, same headset I put on when I've been doing college games for the last 16 years. So, uh, yeah, it felt great. And it's been so much fun traveling around, seeing the players, the coaches, and everyone welcomes us with open arms, kind of like your kind words. Uh, we get the same thing. It's like a honeymoon period this year. So it's nice when people treat you like that. And it's probably better the NHL went away. For 18 years, I would have been the tired old, you know, dude doing these games for all these years. But now it's kind of like, we're so glad to see you. So it's at this time of my career doing this for so long, it couldn't have come at a better time as a, you know, as a refresher, as a re-energizer, um, as a new challenge. So, to, yeah, to host the point uh, once a week, a cool studio show, hour long, and to do some intermissions and, and, uh, and then do the games, of course, which is the highlight for me. That's what I want to do more and more of. And I can't wait to do a playoff off game um it's yeah it's been just you know it's just been in my i hate to use the word career but it's just a job it's a paycheck we try to pay our bills and our mortgages and and, uh but it's been yeah it's just really been a dream come true it's been an unbelievable year well Buju, uh we really appreciate the time uh i gotta get you out though with maybe the most important question of all and it's (laughs) maybe maybe the one thing that you might be even more passionate about than hockey and that's chicken parm. So when when you come up to Boston, what is your must go to spot for chicken parm? Well, you know we'll roam around the North End and pick uh, various places. We're you know we're we're starting with Tresca meal one, and I actually texted Ray Bork and said, Ray, we're coming to Tresca, a little ESPN you know opening week dinner where the you know the bosses take us out and actually buy us a meal. So the first one's on them. Um, cause when you go to a city like Boston, your per diem gets blown out with breakfast. And then, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a financial loss when you go to these cities. Um, so they're going to pay for the first one. So we'll start with Tresca and maybe we'll do, you know, maybe I'll try to hit one each night and hit different places and, um, give a little review, but, uh, pretty excited. You know, we're staying right near the garden downtown. So it's all walking distance. It looks, looks like a rainy week. Unfortunately, I wish the city could show off itself with sunny and warm days. Like we had in Pittsburgh last year, it was 75 degrees all week in Pittsburgh. It was awesome. So that's a bit of a bummer, but you know, we'll work around it. And yeah. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll graze the North end, you know, um, and try to find the, find the 
finest poultry in all the land with the <laughs> finest marinara and cheeses and uh, fig- figure out that perfect hockey pregame meal. Carbs, protein, you know, it, it's the perfect meal. Post-workout, pre-workout, pre-game, whatever. So, uh, yeah, some great comfort food for a comforting week in Boston. It's, uh, you know, when I, again, when I was a kid, I'd listen to Bruins games on the radio growing up out in Ohio and Pennsylvania. My dad listened to all the Bobby Orr Bruins games. That's how I learned the game and invented the game in my head by listening on the radio and Bob Wilson on WBZ. And and now to call games in Boston, in the garden, even though it's the new garden, and uh, in NHL games and called a Bruin game in Buffalo this year. It's just, like I said, I, just unbelievable. It took a long time, but um, it's something that I always wanted to do, and now it's all coming together. So been lucky, very grateful, and uh, just going to go crazy and enjoy it. Well, Bucci, you know what they say, if you know, if you don't feel like you're working, you know you have the right job, right? And it sounds yeah, like that's, that's exactly right. where you've um the spot you've earned to be in at this point in your career. By the way, there's there's about what, two hundred and fifty Italian restaurants in the North End, all who claim they have yep. the best chicken parm. So I guess just <laughs> uh look around and just walk in anywhere. because um, it you, you can't lose. Um so Exactly. So Thursday, Thursday, um, what is it, the seventh? At 5 yes. p.m. and 8.30 of the two semifinal games, Michigan, Denver, Minnesota, Minnesota State. Um, Correct. And then, obviously, Saturday, I believe, at 8 p.m. is the, the Frozen Four National Championship. So, obviously, be sure to check those out. Uh, Bucci will be all over that. And, like I said, we appreciate you coming on. And, um, you know, it was a great, great talk. Anytime. Uh, appreciate it. Love talking about the game. All right. Welcome back. And, once again, thanks to John Bucci-Gross for joining us earlier. And Bridget and Scott uh, were we're reconvening about 15 minutes post Bruins Red Wings. Um, it was exactly what you probably thought it would be on a on a on a back to back with some some injuries up front and you know it's just it, it was a shit show. Uh, I think the biggest takeaways, in my opinion, are obviously the health of, of the Bruins. Um, Lindholm goes down. They already came into the game without Pashnak and and Trent Frederick. And the, the big other takeaway for me is is the goaltending. Um, I saw Scott said he's not panicking just yet. I don't think I am either. But, you know, it is it is a bit concerning as, you know, we get to the, the final, you know, 10, 12 games of the season that Swayman's kind of, for the first time, you know, having a, a pretty lengthy slump, I should say. So those are my big takeaways from the game. Uh, anxious to hear yours. Yeah, definitely Lindholm first and foremost, uh, especially on the heels of, the Pasternak and Frederick injuries. You you hope it's not serious, but late in the second period, he goes down after an awkward leg-to-leg collision with Pius Suter. Um, finished the shift and seemed to be moving like relatively okay. There were, there were a couple like cuts and stops in there, and but he was clearly in discomfort after that collision happened. And then didn't return to the game. Uh, there was no update on him afterwards. Well, to, well, to kind of just add on to your description, Scott, and the only small bit of information we got after the game from Cassidy was that he's probably going to get an x-ray, which originally you're like, oh, crap, that means it's bad. But then he followed that up by saying uh, you, you always get an x-ray when it's your knee and that it didn't appear to be serious just because of the fact that he went about another 20 or 30 seconds on the shift, you know, got, got back in position to play defense and wasn't like one of those injuries where you have to fight your way to the bench. It hurts so bad. So I think that's a good sign as well, but it is definitely like a hip from Suter right to the knee. And obviously 
when it's the knee, it's it's going to be concerning. Yeah, and Cassidy also said he saw him after the game, and he looked like he seemed to be okay. You know, like wasn't in a ton of pain, like sitting around after the game. It wasn't wasn't with a, like a foot up in a boot or something. Yeah, but you know, sometimes sometimes all that stuff can be misleading. Like sometimes you know something seems to be okay and not super serious and. Oh yeah, we've then all you, had then, those. Then you get the imaging done the next morning or whatever, and it's you know more serious than initially thought. Or like so, the swelling, the swelling isn't showing up till the next day, and then you're like, oh, okay, something, something's very wrong here. Yeah. So you know, reality is, is as we sit here right after the game, we really don't know anything other than Lindholm suffered a lower body injury and didn't return, um, and you know, that's about it. We know. Pasenak didn't play, uh, you know, still unclear whether he re-aggravated the same core injury he's been dealing with for a couple of weeks or whether it was something new. Cassidy uh, was asked before the game about that and seemed to not be entirely clear him, himself yet. Um, he kind of said, you know, he wasn't really sure. Do you uh, think that's just a little bit of gamesmanship, though? Like, well, I, I could see why he wouldn't want to disclose that. Mm, I don't know. I, I think Cassie's usually fairly open with most of the stuff. Like even even going back to like some of the or or he like at least drops enough of a hint that you have an idea. Like going back to like the Tuca stuff, he would say uh you know that it wasn't necessarily the same exact injury, but some other stuff. And and we know now that Tuca was also dealing with it something groin related in addition to his hip. Uh Rask said that last week when he met with the media. Um, when he when Cassie was describing Bergeron's injury, like he didn't directly say, yeah, like his elbow is infected, but he he mentioned there was a risk of infection and he kind of like pointed at his arm. So well, just hear me out though. Like if it's an aggravation of an injury that Pasta already had and it's kind of something that's nagging him, would wouldn't you want to not let anyone know, like, hey, if you give him a little jab right here. It's kind of different than the infection. No, because I think they were still being vague. I mean, they were just calling it a core injury, which could be like basically literally anything from like your chest to your, I don't know, hip groin. Like I, what qualifies as the core? I, I guess it's like your entire midsection. So, you know, you can still be vague enough that way. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. Like with Saint, Pasternax and Lindholm's kind of similar in that the, they weren't like super high speed collisions or anything. They didn't look overly violent, but they're just, you know, an awkward collision and awkward fall. And, uh, you know, now you, you hope it's nothing longer term and Bruins obviously are in the playoffs so they can afford to just let those guys rest as much as they need to. There's, you know, I know you have big games coming up against Tampa and Washington and yeah, you'd like to, you know, finish second if you can. But those guys' health is so much more important. Like, just don't even don't rush them back. Wait till they get a hundred percent or as close to a hundred percent as they're gonna get. There's just there's no need to risk anything. Uh, Frederick's obviously a little bit of a different animal, uh, where you know no one's saying concussion, but it certainly looks like that's what it was. And it would be his third one this season, which is concerning. And that you just can't predict. Like, there's no, you know, there's no like, oh, he's fine, but we're going to arrest him anyways. Or, 
you know, th- there was no rushing back from that or anything. It's just you have to wait for that to sort itself out. The last one he got on that collision with Ovechkin, that was January 10th, and he missed a full month. So, um, you know, you hope this one's less severe and maybe, you know, wasn't banged up as much and is able to come back sooner. Yeah, because, because the, for a reference, a month from now is, you know, we're talking yeah. about the first series in the playoffs. He could start missing time if it's, you know, a month again. Yep. And well, and just, guys, in the last two nights, the Bruins just got hit by the injury bug. Uh, and it's at the same time that that playoff race was starting to get really interesting with Tampa Bay and Toronto. I know you guys were both watching that um, Toronto-Florida game, which was crazy, 7-6. Florida wind in overtime and and whatnot, but I want to hear your your thoughts on just you know how that changes this race at at the end of the season. How could potentially that these injuries could um, kind of make it not as interesting uh, and maybe kind of keep the Bruins stuck in that wild card spot? Well, I mean, I don't personally care where the Bruins finish. Um, I don't care if it's home ice, uh, if they're the visiting team, if they're playing Toronto, Tampa, Florida, Carolina, um, because no matter which way you slice or dice it, it's a tough matchup. And um, I guess you could probably argue, you know, one team might be a little bit more favorable than the others. I mean, I guess, you know, you probably, like Scott said in the past, I think if you have to choose to avoid somebody, I'd rather avoid Florida if you can. Um, my concern with the Bruins is uh, is is that they enter the playoffs as healthy as they can be. If that means that you know they lose eighty percent of their remaining games, <laughs> but they enter game one healthy because they they're smart with you know keeping players out and not making sure that they're being overworked on the stretch, then so be it. Um, I obviously that's an extreme. I think it'll be somewhere in, in the middle. Um, but this is kind of. What I was concerned about, what we were all concerned about earlier this year, when we saw their schedule, right? It was like, well, they are playing every other night for, you know, two months until the playoffs. And it's like, you know, it's amazing that they've been pretty healthy this year, Um, you know, for the most part. Like, McAvoy's missed a couple, Bergeron's missed a couple, but it's nothing, nobody's had any long-term injuries, except for the Frederick one, which Scott talked about, and I also, Scott, I think you, I think you wrote, a, you wrote about that, and um, what's alarming about Frederick is that it, it appears he only had one concussion in his, in his athletic career prior to the first one this year against now teammate um, Josh Brown, and that was at Wisconsin, which tells me, okay, so we only had one concussion prior to this year, now he all of a sudden he has four in his life. So, you know, there are some players who they once you get one, you get you get them more frequently. I guess that kind of goes for everybody, but some people it affects more than others. So hopefully Frederick's not out too long. Um but without rambling, I guess to answer your question, Bridget, um will the final dozen games be a little bit less interesting as far as the Bruins go, where they might finish? It might be. But I'm okay with that if they can go into the playoffs healthy. I'd rather that than, you know, them going balls to the walls to try to get the second seed in home ice. But yet, you know, they're not, they're they're a little banged up. That's not going to help them at all, in my opinion. Yeah. And by the way, like we've been talking about, you know, if you fall down to that first wild card spot, you potentially, you know, cross over, you have to face Carolina, a team that's had your number this year, you know, might not be Carolina. People, you know, kind of going under the radar, but, 
the Rangers have pulled within two points of Carolina. Carolina's kind of slipped up. You mean the Islanders? Recently. The Rangers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Sorry. Um, That'd be a hell of a lot by the Islanders. Yeah, I thought you meant, I, I was thinking of the Islanders in the race for the second wild card spot because that's been a little interesting. Hmm. No, yeah, I don't think they're getting there. But, um, but yeah, the, the Rangers are only two points behind Carolina now. And I think Carolina has a game in hand. Um, but, you know, that could potentially be a first-round matchup against the Rangers instead of Carolina, you know, which which brings its own issues having to go against Shesterkin in the first round. Obviously, that's – he single-handedly would be, you know, an X factor. But as – you know, I don't think that Rangers team is as good overall of, of a team. So, you know, a- any matchup is going to be tough. Yeah, you prefer to have home ice if you can. But – it just it 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 doesn't matter at all like compared to just keeping guys healthy and getting them back. So yeah, if you can hang around in this race and you know maybe win you know one of these head to head matchups against Tampa, Toronto that's coming up and make it interesting, great. Yeah, you know it'd be nice to see them playing for something in those last few games of the regular season, but. You just got to get Postnard back, get Lindholm back, and have them be healthy. And at the same time, not lose anyone else. You know, Cassie's been talking about load management for guys for a little bit now. And we've seen some of it so far. But I would, you know, I think they're going to be super cautious. Like anyone who's banged up even a little bit, I think they're just going to give them a night off or give them a few days down and um, just be really careful. Yeah, I, I I echo that a hundred percent. It's um, you know, it, it's one of those situations where, in a perfect world, you would love to see the Bruins and, and Tampa and Toronto and Florida, whomever else they play down the stretch here, um, you know, kind of measure each other up and you know get yourself amped up for those potential first round matchups. But um, you know, the reality of the situation is is what we've all been saying the last you know few minutes, and and health is the most important thing, and 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 what's more concerning with Lindholm and Pashnak is that it's oftentimes the injuries that, that occur during a game where you see the replay and you're like, that didn't look that bad. Um, that can sometimes cause the most damage damage because it's 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 a it's a nagging tweak or like, you know, it could be a tear or something like that. So it's just interesting how that works. And you, you know, you you look at all of Pasta's injuries, which and for Scott Scott even said like a like a month or two ago, he was like Let's just hope that Pashnak can enter the playoffs like healthy for a change. It's like the kid goes out there and scores, you know, 40 plus goals every year and is doing spinoramas and pirouettes. And then the second that the playoffs are on the horizon, it's like he tweaks something, he falls out of a cab or whatever. And it's just like, it's just shit luck. Um, Gets COVID and is delayed getting to the bubble. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's always been something. Now, I guess, I guess on the one hand, if we want to. If we want to assume that Lindholm's not out too long, or when I say that, I mean if he had to play. You know what I mean? Um, could he play? If that's the case, um, it wouldn't be the worst idea to just allow him to, to rest up. But in doing that, you know, it gives Bruce Cassidy an opportunity to, 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 to keep that revolving door of defensemen um, in the lineup and, and see who deserves to have a spot come, come game one. And again, it depends on who they're playing. It depends on... It just depends on the style of play, what you kind of want that bottom pair to look like. Um, 
But you know, Mike Riley didn't have the the greatest game. But it's like I'm watching in the, in a Detroit game, and it's like, okay, hold on a second. Like Riley's not having a fantastic game, but he still moves well. He still moves the puck. He still makes things happen in the offensive zone. He's not he's not a total liability defensively. But then Derek Forbert is the reason that you know um, I forget whose goal it was, but it's like he he just gets burned. His his angling is off. And Riley tries to cover for him, and next you know the puck's in the back of the net, but you don't really hear or see many people being like, except for Scott, calling out Forbert. And it's like, why does Forbert, I get it, he's okay on the penalty kill, but why is he like so untouchable in this bottom six? Because he doesn't do anything for me. It was the Zadina goal that Riley kind of chased um, his guy, and then, I mean, uh, that Forbert kind of chased his guy, and then Riley had to excuse me, Forbert lost his guy, Riley had to chase the puck down, left the guy Zadina open on the opposite side. But um, I, I agree. And Cassidy called out Swayman and both the bottom two defensive pairs after the game um, for rightfully. So uh, I did have a thought before we let Scott answer on that um, about keeping Lindholm out. It's kind of, so with Lindholm, obviously health is the number one thing, him being rested, um, and, you know, fully ready to go for the playoffs, obviously number one, but we enter a tricky situation where you probably are tempted to put him back in and get him more playing time just because he's new, um, and still adjusting to the system. So that's just one thing I would say about the, about when home, if in, instead of keeping him out longer, maybe that would be tempting for them to keep him going and keeping getting chemistry with, um, McAvoy or whomever else if they decide to switch the pairs as well yeah I mean Cassidy has said he wants to see him with Carlo for a game or two at some point as well and now you know if it's going to be something where Lindholm's going to be held out you know a week or two then maybe that goes out the window and you just don't really have have time to try it or you're trying it you know last week of the regular season or something um yeah as, as far as you know the rotation on the bottom pair. I'm with you. Like Forbord would not now he's gone in and out a couple times recently, but I think that's been more of Cassidy just like changing out the entire third pair and going with Riley Brown. Whenever he's you know, I think we figure that third pairing battle is gonna come down to Forbord, Riley Clifton. It's gonna be two of those three, assuming everyone above them is healthy. Um but you know, it seems like, at least in Cassie's mind, like Forboard is the lock of those three, and it's Riley versus Clifton. And I just, I don't think it should be. Like, I get it. He leads the team in, in shorthanded ice time. He is a big part of the penalty kill. And for the most part, he's been good on the penalty kill. Understood. They have other defensemen who can kill penalties. You know, Carlos great on the penalty kill. McAvoy, yeah, you don't want to have him spending too many minutes there because he's so effective in other situations, but he is also a good penalty killer. Clifton can kill penalties. Lindholm, you know, once he's back as a good penalty killer, like you have other guys who can do it. I wouldn't be married to forward being in just because he's one of your top two penalty killers. Like, you know, I think at five on five, he's, to me, he's like clearly the weakest of those three. I'd say Riley's the strongest, not perfect by any means. And we've seen him make a couple of mistakes here recently that aren't going to help his case. But 
you know, I also thought like, like down the stretch in this Detroit game, I thought Riley was really active in getting involved and, you know, doing he, things. He, that, he was kind of having to clean up the mistakes of forward at certain times, which made Riley look bad. Yeah. Well, and he also, you know, played up for a couple, he played up with McAvoy a bunch um, after Lindholm went down and I thought was, you know, really active on those shifts and was involved in the comeback effort that the Bruins were trying to make. Um, you know, and that's like, there's value in that. There's value in having a guy in a third pair who can, who can get involved in those situations and jump up on offense. Um, yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you, Scott, on the Forbert not being like he, he should not be the automatic in on those bottom four defensemen that I should say the bottom pair plus the extra two defensemen that are you know seven and eight that are rotating into the lineup. Forbert has not impressed me. I have. Remember when Forbert and Riley were put together on that Islanders game? Well, you and I were there, Scott. It was the ugliest pair. And it, once again, tonight was ugly. And both games, they ended up rotating the guys off. Um, They just don't play well together. They don't complement each other. You think like, oh, well, Riley's a puck mover, a better skater. Forbert's more of like a stay-at-home defenseman. A lot of times that works as a pair. It does not work with those two. Uh, I have really thought that it has been just maybe one of the worst pairs they've had this season. It has been, it's been ugly. So I would prefer forward out of the lineup as well. Um, and Clifton and Riley, I, I like them better. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of laughing when I think about this, but I mean, maybe it's not the craziest thing. Like maybe the best thing for Derek Forbert is to play with another stiff, like, Perhaps, perhaps your fourth pair is Forbert and, and Josh Brown, and like I remember last week, Pete and um, Pete and, and Scott were kind of referencing like having a D pair that you just put out there to get you know, you know, hemmed in their own zone, but the, but they keep teams to the outside and they take care of the front of the net. I mean, Forbert and, and Brown as a pairing, like if it was a big boy type game that they were playing or series, like they could probably do that and then like your 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 go to traditional third pair would be Riley and Clifton and like if you have to insert the other boys if you're if you're if you're healthy and you have to put them in for a certain reason maybe you do that but like i just feel bad for mike riley because in my opinion like he 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 certainly did not play himself out of the lineup um at the trade deadline like you know clifton had a couple cliffy hockey type games and and cassie just kind of like was like well i can't take cliffy out we know what Cliffy is. I can't take him out, though. So Riley gets a short end of the stick, and he was playing pretty well. And then, um, so now Riley's like, well, shit, now, now, you know, I have to play my best game every single night or else I'm sitting. And he shouldn't really be feeling that way, in my opinion. And, yeah, and, then, and Cassie's comments put even more pressure on him. And I, I didn't know if that was necessarily the right way to handle it. I, I know you want to be honest and, and call guys out, but when in this situation where Riley has, you know, been the odd man out at certain situations and hasn't really deserved losing his spot. Like you said, Brian, sometimes that's not the right thing to say. It's sometimes you you're better off, like, especially not to the media, maybe say it in practice, but just puts more pressure on the guy. And I mean, some people, maybe that works, but in this situation, I feel like it was maybe uh, not the best way to handle it. No, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really think Cassie said anything like, overly critical i think he was you know, well he like, said he said you know it doesn't help their case to be in the lineup which is a, like an obvious threat to your your job but 
and I might just be blanking or forgetting when he said that, but I mean, like, I know he said they needed more from him at the offensive blue line. Um, I remember that, but. Uh, I can quote it. I, mean, I, I wrote it down. So after the, after the Lindholm stuff, he was talking about, he said, um, the defensemen ha- were misplacing pucks, uh, misplaying pucks. A couple of guys on the second and third pair had a tough time. They got beat. They didn't manage the puck. And the guys that are in and out of the lineup, it doesn't help their case. We expect better, and we expect our goalie to bail us out. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's bad. Like, I think that's just an honest assessment of the game. You know, we we all saw it. I mean, Riley was awful on that one goal. Like, he tries flipping the puck out. He flips it to the circle for an easy turnover. Puck comes right back to him. He's not ready for it. Kind of bounces off his stick right to the Red Wing for a goal. Like, I mean. I think Riley did some other good things in the game, but like that was brutal. And and, and and just also on that same goal, there were a lot of guys that had a chance to make it clear on that on that play that before it ended up right in the, on sorry, top of the I'm crease sorry, where which, Riley which, couldn't clear it. Which goal? What game were we talking about? Which goal? <laughs> which game? <laughs> are, are we talking about the Red Wings game tonight? Yes. Yeah. Which goal are you talking about? I I, I missed uh, the first period. So the first period. Yeah, I think it was Rasmussen. It was the Rasmussen goal. All right. They well, couldn't there were several times I think Marshawn had the puck, he stole it for a second, lost it. A few guys couldn't get the clear, yeah. and then the ugliest one was I mean, Riley out in front my, for sure. But my, yeah, my point in bringing up Riley in the first place though, because I mean I was more so referring to like the before, you know, games like tonight, but it's just like um I just felt like his confidence was messed with. He's now he's second guessing himself. You know, tonight when when you know you see his face in the, on a television when 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 it uh, showed him after the um, the the Zadina goal and like you could just sense that he's frustrated because it's like well I didn't fuck that up Forbert did but I know I'm playing for my job each and every night and I and I just feel like um, you know one of his strengths remember last year when he came in when he was in Ottawa he was like leading I I feel like he was like one of the leading defensemen in the league and assists maybe and he was getting he was yeah. doing a really good job of getting his shots through the net um you know i think that's dropped off a little bit this year maybe that's just the eye test failing me i don't know but in any event um yeah i don't know i i it's just the biggest concern with the defense right now is make sure Lindholm is healthy but as far as that bottom pair goes i just think it's gonna be someone's gonna get hurt or somebody's gonna play themselves out of a lineup and it's gonna be a revolving door i think throughout the entire playoffs i just I just don't like how, um, you know, Forbert just, you know, he he just, he just can't, you know, do anything wrong in, in the sense of like feeling like his job is being threatened. And I just, I don't know. I just, um, I don't know. I mean, Cassie has a better feel for the team than I do, I suppose. Um, but that that was just worth bringing up. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would like to see at some point Riley Clifton play together as a third pair, and and Forbert be the like. If you're trying all this stuff because you want to, you know, try different things, see what works, give guys minutes with each other, like, why would you not give that one a shot at some point? Um, and, uh, you know, Bridget, like, I'm with you, Forbert Riley has not looked good so far, but I would give that more time too because that could be a legitimate option. And defense pairings, I would say even more than – forward lines tend to not now sometimes they do like Lindholm McAvoy clicked right away but oftentimes they don't like that 
it takes time to 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 click and they might not have enough time between now and the end of the radio season but um i i still wouldn't totally abandon that idea just because you know whatever it's been four and a half periods haven't gone very well yeah i think they've just been abandoning it by necessity because they get to the point in the game where it's you know like oh there's there's only the game's within a goal and and you gotta try to do what you need to win and that's not a pair that's a winning combination so yeah they've had to go away from it both games it was like glaring okay we need to we need to switch something up about this but yeah they can obviously get more time together I just think that if anyone has kind of lost the job so far I would say it's forward as well and 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 then go ahead Brian I was just gonna say and, and and don't get me wrong like I definitely understand the appeal to it like because if you have Clifton and Riley together on a pairing, like, like if you're the coaching staff, like, that's just a heart attack waiting to happen, right? Like, they can both move their feet, they can both move move the puck, but they could both be a little bit reckless and cut out of position. So, like, I understand the thought process process of having like, let's have a forward back there, kind of stay at home. Um, I get it, I do, but it just it just doesn't appear to be um and it should be an option but it just shouldn't it shouldn't be an automatic and you know if Riley and Clifton were put together you know one of them would just have to i feel like step up and take that role of like all right I'm going to allow my deep partner to be the one to kind of jump into the rush more often than not and I will when I when I can but one of them would have to take that role of of kind of being more reliable back there um but I get, look. I guess they have options. I guess that's good news, right? I mean, one person we haven't even talked about is is, is a Sean. So like, who you know, people might think he's undersized for a playoff series, but like, okay, it was Tory Krug. So I mean, um, they do have some players that they can plug in back there, which is a good thing. Uh, I guess it's just trying to find the the right the right um, combination. Yeah, and and again, all all totally changes for the worse if Lindholm's. Injury ends up being anything remotely serious, but yeah, absolutely. Then your, your trade deadline has failed, not because you did anything wrong, but it just didn't work out because of such a you know uh, an untimely injury that yeah, it, well, it kind of just nullifies. Um, the right. Trade then, I mean, then then it pivots to well, at least he's here long term, right? Like, like at, at least it's not Rick Nash again, where Rick <laughs> Nash, you knew. You knew you were just getting that one run, most likely. I guess had he stayed healthy, you know, maybe there's a chance they re-sign him. But um, you know, at least it's not that. But yeah, it would be it would be a super bummer if if they had to go into the playoffs and he's either not playing or playing at like way less than hundred um, percent. And you know, because look, you know, one of the big reasons he was brought here is to to eat minutes. So you want him to be able to handle that 25 to 30 minutes a game in the playoffs. Yeah. And when he came out today, uh, McAvoy just ended up taking so many minutes and you want to have him, you know, fresh for the playoffs as well. So it kind of puts a little bit too much um, stress on McAvoy's game, but also I, I wanted to get to uh, obviously the Lindholm things is big um, and we'll hopefully get an update soon. Um, but there's still the issue, the same issue with the forwards. And and so we see that the combinations today on the second line was started out with Hall, Hall and Nosek, but ended up getting switched around and they put 
Hall with Coyle and Smith. And then it, it's the same problem that people foresaw, which was that if you pull one guy out of the top nine, the whole thing kind of just, it, the pieces aren't there. Um, Hall and Hall have been effective. Nosik was okay with them, but they they are going to have an issue if they don't get Frederick back, um, assuming Pasternak is okay. Obviously, that would be the bigger concern, but assuming he's going to be a short-term, because Cassie called him day-to-day, uh, Frederick missing from that Coyle-Smith line, you have Felino on it. I mean, it's just not the same. Yeah, I mean, it's they're similar styles, but Frederick's just been a better player than Felino for a couple months now, at least arguably all season, but certainly over the last couple in the second half of the season, Frederick's just been better. He's, he's a better skater than Felino. Uh, I think he's looked more confident. He's made more plays with the puck on his stick. He's been, you know, more effective around the net. Like, I don't know. I mean, if, if Felino has anything left in his game, like here's, you know, I guess kind of like the last chance to show, that you can play more than a fourth line role on this team. Um, I, I don't know if he can. He, he's, he's kind of the only option. Like, he, I guess you can try Anton Bleed there, but, he, you know, I think we, we all probably like the way Bleed plays. Like he's physical. He, you know, plays with some pace, uh, has energy. But we've seen very little, you know, in terms of, like, consistent offense from him uh, during his time in the NHL. Um, obviously, we haven't seen that from Felino this year either, but, like, at least at least you have a track record with Felino where you're like, it was there at one point. Like, there's something there. The guy the guy knew how to score goals at one point in his career. You know, he, you want to think he, like, he hasn't completely lost that, but maybe yes. Um, what about getting McLa- McLaughlin up there? He hasn't been playing his natural position, but you slot him but in there. He's, I don't think he's ever played on the left. I think he's I don't only, think he – I'm not sure he has either. He's nah, a center. He's, he's only but, center and right wing. But it and, could and the be, problem is, is like that whole line is all right shots. Like Coyle and Smith true. have never played on the left either, so – that the the idea being that if he could play left wing, that's a that's a, like a little bit of extra juice in that line. He's just been playing with a lot of energy and speed. Obviously, we don't we're not sure how much of a workload he'll get. Uh, one one in. thing, one thing that I, I I would definitely consider trying. And again, this is all predicated on Pasternak returning, and your top six goes back to what it was. Um, I would be open to moving Nosek up to the third line putting him at left wing there with Coyle and Smith, it, you know, it changes the dynamic. No, it's not the same style of player as Frederick and Felino, but I, I could see him complementing that line better than Felino. And then your fourth line would become, um, you know, probably Felino and then McLaughlin and Lazar, you know, whoever, one of them at center, one at right wing and see how that looks. Yeah, he's another player we haven't talked about today. What, what's what's his um? Was he a maintenance day or was, is he nursing something, Lazar? Lazar, I think I think he was just a healthy scratch. I think. Oh, okay. Um, I, I think Cassie just wanted to get all three of those young guys in because they've been practicing together. So yeah, I try to get Stanika back in. By the way, we we haven't mentioned this yet, but the the brawl at the end of the game 
Um, there are a couple things in there that didn't look great either. Most notably, Stanika got like ragdolled hard to the ice with his helmet off, and definitely looks like he hit his head on the ice. Like, and he, he didn't. He didn't get up like immediately. And also, somebody landed on him after that too. Yeah. So he he immediately grabbed the back of his head. Now he he did get up. He skated off on his own. There was no blood. He didn't appear to be knocked out cold or anything. So. At least, like, that's good news, but I I would fully expect that he was probably at least evaluated for a concussion and obviously, you know, hope nothing comes of that. Also, Anton Bleed was, uh, like, throwing real punches during that brawl, and as he left the ice going down the tunnel, it looked like he was, like, kind of grabbing at his hand or looking at it, which might be nothing. Like, that's a fairly common reaction after fights. You know, you'll, you'll see guys doing that in the penalty box all the time. But also, I guess, something to to monitor is, like, you know, the possibility that maybe he did more damage there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that... Uh, I, I Look, I, scary situation, I suppose. Well, not I suppose, for sure, with, with stunning yeah, his head Yeah, as soon ice. as you see a helmet come off, your first thing is, like, okay, just don't let your head... Like, don't let his head hit the ice. And, and that's one of the main reasons why they changed that rule with fighting where you can't, you know, like old school, you can't take your helmet off and drop the gloves and, and go at it like that anymore is because there's just so many injuries where head, your head hits the ice and how bad those are. Um, so that's always serious. And I, I noticed that right away, just like you, Scott, um, that I was worried about that. And also, obviously, it was kind of an emotional game, intense game. It's just Detroit. Like, it shouldn't have escalated like that in the first place. Well, I think they, I think they lead the league in five on five scrums this year. Um, they, they, they definitely have a bit of a chippy um, persona. And you know, look, if you're the Red Wings, I, I'm not surprised it got chippy because it's the classic, you know, um, one team that's out of it that is acting like they won the Stanley Cup. And obviously, you know, when you have, when you have, you know, respected guys in the league like Patrice Bergeron and Nick Foligno, and I guess you can argue if people respect Brad Marsh, and I believe that they do deep down. Um, staring over at center ice like a bunch of soccer dads because the, the the Red Wings are all slapping their sticks on the ice like they you know like like they're like the the Mighty Ducks you know doing the tribute for Hans like I don't know what their deal was but um it was a chippy game it was one of those games that's like just get the hell out of here like I I I'm sick of watching Detroit I'm sick of Little Caesars Arena I want Joe Lewis back the, I'm so fed up with all these. PNG, PNG you know what I'm sick of? I'm sick of, I don't know if, like, if you guys caught this, but like once I heard it, the woos, I, I the, could not the stop hearing woos. Woo! Woo! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, I heard the, the whole game. Wh- whoever was yelling, I'm like, what? Someone throw this person out of the arena. Like, what are we doing? It was all of them. The, the, you're, you're, it's, a, it's an original six franchise who has smart hockey fans. So. They recognize that their team's out of it. They're not making the playoffs, but they're also like, screw it. We're at the game. Let's have a good time. Let's chirp the like the, the visiting team. Um, I'm glad they're out of there. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up too was, um, look, I don't think that the end of the game happens because of officiating or lack thereof. But I, I, I and I said this the other day, like, I, I may have actually said it online. I don't really know. Um, but. The officiating, I, I just know, I just know that it's gonna, it's gonna be insufferable in the playoffs. I just don't understand, and this is not a Bruins thing. This is me watching hockey around the league, being like, "What the hell are you calling?" Like, for example, 
Patrick Maroon chirping, um, Wayne Simmons on the bench last night in the Maple Leafs Lightning game, just literally saying, "How's it going, buddy?" Like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna f you up next period. Okay, I'll see you then. And the ref comes over and and gives him ten minute misconducts. It's like, dude, are you serious? Can you like, can you get the fuck back in the restroom and like, you know, just put your street clothes back on and leave? Like, what are we doing here? And then, you know, all these all these phantom, you know, hooks, and it's just like. They they don't even know what a penalty is or isn't, and it's it, it's the, I'm I'm being serious. The league needs to like sit down and figure this shit out because, um, like in the off season, because the ref the refereeing is being talked about after every single game around the league by the most rational hockey fans, like not like diehard fans, and it's just like stop being the story, just monitor the game, stop impacting it every chance yeah. you can. And, and like, how about Monday night in Columbus where? There's like a little bit of a scrum behind the net. Andrew Peake comes in, throws a jab at Marshand. Marshand, for once, God bless him, actually does absolutely nothing to respond. Just stands there. He's like tied up, does absolutely nothing. Not a single thing. Gets a matching roughing. It's like, what? Like, because he's Brad Marshand and he's standing there, like he just automatically gets two minutes, I guess. Like, if if anything, like, you know, DeBrusque is the one who came flying in and goes after Peak. It's like, if you gave DeBrusque the two minutes, fine, un- understood. He earned it, and you know what? I bet his teammates would be thrilled. Like, that was – it was a good move for him to jump in like that. But it's like, what what are you calling on Martian? Like, I get that it's Martian, but this was one time where he actually did not do anything. They, they just they, – Scott, they just, in my opinion – like I'm not I'm not saying that they're that they're that they have to be perfect and that it's not okay for them to make mistakes here and there. Like it's totally like I get it. It's gonna happen. But what they lack, they just totally lack a feel for the game that's being played in front of them. For like for example, tonight, and I know I wasn't trying to tie it to the Bruins, but again, because I just watched the game, it's like the McAvoy penalty, the first one he had. Where it's like Ronick Ronick, whatever the hell the guy's name is, uh, on Detroit you know, he's, like, holding McAvoy up the ice and, and, and bear-hugging him and trying to prevent him from getting back into the play. And then, obviously, McAvoy turns around and gives him a little, a little headlock. And you can sit there and say, don't retaliate. But it's like the ref is watching the whole thing and waits until McAvoy gives him a little headlock and puts his arm up. And it's like – and you hear McAvoy say, like, like like are you fucking kidding me? And then on the hot mic, and then the, and then the guy's just like, yup. Or, 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 you know, he goes, he goes nope. And then um, a Red Wings player – uh, I think it was Ronak again, or however you say his name, Ronak, Ronak. He iced the puck at the end of the game, and he didn't get the red line, so they called icing. And then and then uh, you hear him on the hot mic say, fuck off. And then the ref goes, fuck you. It's just like, <laughs> it's just a complete pissing contest. And like, they're always just trying to puff up their chests and just impact the game. And they get so defensive because they know everybody hates them. It's like, well, I wonder why everybody hates you. Maybe maybe there's a, there's a reason for it. Um, anyway, I don't mean to ramble on them too much, but it's just like, I just, I don't, I, I don't want them to impact a game or a series for any team. Um, in, yeah, well, in, in, in I have bad, bad news that they, yeah. they are going to. Well, and I, yeah, and, yeah. In, in the, like, it, you're right, Brian, it's noticeable pretty much every game and it's always like, you know, certain play, it, it's different standards for different players too. And different teams, 100%. sometimes, you know, different coaches and whatnot, like who's on the ice, different players get, especially for the Bruins, you notice some players don't get the calls when it's, you know, even when it's egregious. And I'm talking about Marshawn. But, yeah. well, um, also, while we're on this and while I'm thinking of it, uh, on the penalty front and the Marshawn front, 
you need when you're trying to come back in a game late in the third period, you need Brad Marchand on the ice. Like, what is he doing going after Dylan Larkin with three and a half minutes down and the Bruins down by two? That that one bothered me. Like, I don't know if he's well, I don't know if he's like trying to send a message or like set some sort of attitude standard or something. Are like, you are you referring to when he when he tried to punch him? Because I yeah. believe, because at that so, at that point I, I I believe the ref already had him both for um so I think Martian said fuck it he yeah he actually me. got called for like I think he slashed him right before that well yeah but he got caught he got crossed I don't think he got yeah, called he got for that. Cro- I think it was the I think it was the ref that that no nah, they, they they got they both got slashing minors that's what the ref called which is hilarious because Larkin cross checked him and didn't slash him so it's like you even get that wrong you can't even call matching minors properly. But regardless, Scott, like you're not wrong. But, like his temperament. Yeah, so, but even that like was like a reaction because he got hit, and then like as right. he was kind of backing up, he, that's when he like throws right. the stick out, and it's just like exactly. And it's the second, like you know, it happens in that at the end of that second period in the Maple Leafs game too, and that was a bigger deficit. Um, but he takes that ten minute misconduct. The Bruins actually end up making that game somewhat interesting in the third, and it's just like, dude, you're like. With Parsonak on the lineup, you're the best offensive player on the team. You you got to be out there. And I know, you know, again, we'll keep coming back to like these. The two points aren't the most important thing, and they're in the playoffs no matter what. And I get all that. But still, you know, you, you want Brad Martian on the ice in those closing minutes when, when you're trying to come back. And he had to sit down for two of the last three and a half minutes. Yeah. And, and it's just a confidence and a pride thing, too, to get those two points, even though they're not necessary. Yeah, I also yeah. think I, I think uh, you know if I'm if I'm an opponent of the Bruins come playoffs, like the book is out 100. percent Like you know they have some they have some key veteran leaders who you know they know what's what. Um, but I definitely think you can frustrate the Bruins. If this was a non-Bruins podcast, I'd sit there and say, look, you, you know you get them off their game. You know they aren't finding the back of the net. You know Marshan's gonna let loose. You know McAvoy could take a stupid penalty here and there. Um, the temperament of the team in general, um, when shit hits the fan, um, is interesting. It's twofold because number one, they'll never quit on a game. They'll always fight back till the end if they're down, but that but they will at the same time show their frustration. So so they can be rattled in that sense, and I think the Bruins need to hone that. In and it's easier said than done, especially in the playoffs. Um, but you're right, Scott. I mean, as a leader of the team and, and an invaluable member of the team, uh, Marshan needs to make sure he keeps his head clean uh, going forward and down the stretch. Yeah. And so I feel like we've touched on a lot of stuff, but except, I mean, we we touched a tiny bit on Swayman. I guess just to go a little further um, into hit, you know, the hiccup he's kind of. Come uh, come across this these past few games. Uh, he had a huge issue today with giving up second chance opportunities. There are a lot of times where I thought he could have, you know, handled a rebound, uh, not let it come back out. That was that was one of the things he struggled with, and he wasn't tracking pucks very well either. What just if we want to end on this subject? What do you guys think? Um, yeah, about and- Swayman, and how concerning is it? Yeah, and he had another misplayed puck behind the net, which, by the way, is actually the same shift that Lindholm got hurt on. Uh, that was how that shift ended, um, was with Swayman misplaying a puck behind the net, which has also been a bit of an issue recently. Um, yeah, so I pulled up, so I got the like updated numbers, and 
so we know, you know, Swayman had this stretch where he was like the hottest goalie in the league. So January 2nd to March 3rd, and there's a stint down in Providence in the middle of that, but 11 starts, he had a 947 save percentage. Since then, in now nine starts, 883. Like yeah. that's it's not good, and that's which like, really took a whack in that Toronto game because he yeah, was and, just and, seven sixty in that game. But even yeah, so but even with taking that out, like during these nine starts, he's allowed two goals or more in all of them. Uh, I think you know three or more in quite a few. And Toronto um, was six. Yeah, and and you know, and that and in that stretch before that, that really hot one. He had allowed like he was like basically fifty percent of his games he's allowing one goal or fewer, which isn't sustainable over you know long term. But it swung pretty far back in the other direction, and I would expect it to swing back again at some point. But we're also now at the point where Swayman has played more games this, this season than he ever has at any level. So that you know you you at least think about that. I. I wouldn't think he's like physically worn down, you know, 30, I think he's now 39 games between Boston and Providence still isn't a ton. Like he, he should be okay. Yeah. And, and Razor did bring it up on Sunday skate uh, a few days ago that it is a heavier workload than he's ever had because the college season isn't, um, he didn't never played that many games in a college season. Um, so it is a new test that, you know, he's going to have to step up to, to try to deal with it and to talk about, you know, he had two shutouts in February. Uh, a lot of those, the other nights too, he only gave up one goal in a lot of those other games in February. And then in March, it's just, he, every single game he's let up two or more goals. So um, it's, and, and also obviously that's carried over into the first two starts he's had in April. So it's concerning just in the fact that he hasn't, had like a a game where he you know allowed one or fewer since February twenty eighth. Um, yeah, and that's and, a long stretch. Yeah, and he just hasn't looked super comfortable or like as confident as we saw during that middle stretch of the season either. Whereas like you know he just looked like someone who who just owned the game, who was just yeah. fully in control. And now you know every game it's like it seems like there's one or two plays where he looks a little shaky, whether it's not controlling a rebound or, you know, kind of like a loose puck in front of the net that he can't cover or, or misplaying a puck behind the net, like just those things. And, you know, I don't know if that's focus or, or what, but it just seems like a, a little off. And, you know, we mentioned earlier, but like, I'm not panicking yet. You know, every goalie goes through some cold stretches, especially a rookie. Um, but you definitely want to see him get on track before the end of the regular season, because if this continues and we're still talking about this a couple of weeks from now, well, now you're talking, you know, presumably at that point, like the debate would be on about, is he actually your number one for the playoffs? I think everyone wants him to be, everyone expects him to be, but say, you know, all Mark starts playing better than him over these next couple of weeks. Uh, that debate is absolutely on the table again. It totally is. I mean, like right now, right now, if game one's tomorrow, you know, Swayman's the guy, but I'm nervous because he's not playing very well. Like, you know, say what you want about his, about his puck skills and, and, and you know, decision-making behind that. You know, that's been off pretty much all year. Um, 
but he was still great to, in spite of it. And you know, it wasn't long ago that Scott was, you know, saying that uh, Swayman should be, you know, considered, you know, top five in the calendar. And, um, you know, and I, I think I was saying as well, like if his numbers held up the rest of the year, like, you know, he could be not a Fezna finalist, but in the discussion as like, you know, a tip of the cap is like a, you know, fifth or seventh, whatever. But since then, it's been what you guys have just talked about. And what what what's um, concerning to me is like the the Jacob Vrana goal tonight. It's like the game. It's the ultimate game winning goal, and it's a nothing play, you know. And he comes in and just beats you clean, like under the crossbar from a weird angle. Um, that was the that was that was deflating. It was it, it, it totally you know at that point in the game where the Bruins needed something to go right, you got the opposite, and it was a completely preventable goal. Like you know, and if if that's if that's saved, then you know this game goes to overtime, tied three three. Well, and it should be saved because you know his teammates didn't do anything wrong on that play. You know, like there are times where where you get left out to dry as a goaltender, and and you know shit happens. But when a team in front of you does everything that they can on a given play, and then you just get you get beat clean on a on a non elite shot, like you know if Kucherov comes down on you point blank or Braden Point. Yeah, okay, you can get B clean. But I will say, chances are, somebody fucked up in front of them. That wasn't the case in this play. I mean, Detroit gained the offensive zone, but they're on the outside and just... So those, those are the goals you hate to see any time of year. And I just hope um, that the time of year is not getting to him, that he's not feeling pressure in these games. Not so much Detroit, but like the Toronto game, right? That game was billed as a big time, you know, these teams haven't played each other for in forever and... Especially in Boston, it's, it seemed like, and it was a big show, Atlantic Division showdown, and you know he 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 just wasn't ready to go along with his teammates. Um, but I have faith in him. Um, I'm not worried, like Scott has said, but it's just, I guess it is comforting to know. I, I do I do trust Allmark though. Um, if Swayman is struggling, I, I'm okay with Allmark going in. He, I think he's earned that trust from Bruins fans at this point. So hopefully, um. You know, hope you guys he's real. He's same. reliable. He's reliable. Right. Like that's that's yeah. what he's not gonna. You know, it's not as when he's playing his best game. You know, Swayman has another level, but Omar is um. You know, Correct. reliable. That's all you can. That's all you really need. Um. You know, if Swayman can't step in and play, but I just want to throw this out there. Do you think? Uh, and maybe the answer is no. Uh, that after Swayman had such a great month of February. Guys started playing different in front of him, like trusting him. And also it's kind of like he started out the season as a rookie and, you know, guys play in front of a rookie a little different than they do in front of a veteran. Like they play different in front of a Swayman than a Tuca um, back last season, say. Yeah, I would say no. I would say Yeah, I don't feel like I've really noticed that. Like, I think the – I've said the Bruins in general over the years, but especially this year, haven't really been a team that's gotten into like shootouts or up and down the ice drag races or you know stuff where they're like leaving the goalie out to dry, out to dry a ton. Um, not to say that it doesn't happen, and we know they've you know committed turnovers and whatever that have led to breakaways and two on ones, but I, I feel like they've still been pretty careful about that stuff like because i think that's usually where something like that shows up is like guys start taking more chances or you know get caught up ice and 
you start giving up more of that stuff the other way. Um, I don't feel like that's really been the case. No, and there's still look. They've been at, the the Bruins have been putting up like I feel like an average of like 45 shots the last you know month. You know, so I mean they're still playing with structure. They're still getting their volume of um, you know you're not getting that many shots if you're not controlling the, you know the pace of play in the in the the possession game. Um, no, I just think Swayman's slumping a little bit. Like there's a few breakdowns here and there, like Scott said, but I I don't think that they're giving him the Tuka Rask treatment. I think I think you earn that. I I think I think your team maybe starts to depend on you uh, when you've been doing, um, you know, one of the best goalies in the league for, for a decade plus. I think at that point, maybe Swayman will notice some change in front of him. But for the most part, I, I think they're playing uh, structurally well, as, as, as well as they have all year. Um, you know? now, and now they're heading. And so now they get two, two days off. And then Friday, they play Tampa Bay. <laughs> so that will be, yeah. that will be another interesting test to see. And Omar is in net that that game it, correct me if i'm wrong scott uh i don't know if that's been announced yet but i yeah that wouldn't be surprising if he is so yeah so they they have to play at tampa on friday so it doesn't get um any easier for them coming up here by the way they, they seem to never be healthy going into a matchup with tampa bay which that's true may, maybe i don't know i guess maybe if you get to a playoff series and you actually are you have some stuff they haven't seen before, but yeah, like there's a, the, for, I think the first matchup, they didn't have Martian and McAvoy. The last one. No Bergeron. Right. Yeah. And now this one, you're potentially looking at no Pastanark and or Lindholm, they also, know, depending they, on how the next couple of days go for those guys. They also played them down in Tampa this year too, and they beat them. Um, but I, I feel like there was a big player out in that game too. Um, I just can't remember, but you're right. They can never play them fully healthy. Yeah, I know Tampa Bay wasn't healthy early in the year either. I think they're missing a couple of key guys. But the last time they played, Tampa was they they had their full arsenal. Here's a here's one other thing. I, I know we're going long at this point, but might as well bring it up because it's it's been it's been we might as well bring it up before it gets rectified. Um, because that's what we do here. We complain. Um, before they get into the playoffs, they 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 do have to. Uh, they gotta write the ship with the power play. Um, yeah, I think I think from my two cents and you guys, so I don't put you guys on the spot. You can you can think about what the issues are yourselves, but in my opinion, I just feel like I mean, zone entries have always been not the bread and butter of the Bruins power play over the years. It was it was probably at its best when you had uh, Tory Krug back there, but when they get into the offensive zone, in my opinion, they um, I just I think they're too stationary. I mean, the only guy that's really moving the most is Bergeron from the bumper positions that he has. Um, they got to get moving. They got to get moving without the puck in the offensive zone. Hopefully, and obviously, you know, in doing that, continue to get shots through right away. Right, don't kill your own power play. But that they they got to write that shit before they get into the playoffs. I mean, I guess it's been done before. The the Bruins won the cup in eleven with one of the worst playoffs of all time in the playoffs, but. United, and they didn't, yeah. and, and they didn't have Pasternak on on the power play today. Obviously, you no. know they put DeBrusque there, but Pasta has a completely different element to how you have to defend him but it, but on they, the power play. But they, it's been struggling with Pasta, you know. So it's just. Uh, but they, but also in this previous stretch, it was missing Bergeron. Like there's been a few situations recently where it true. hasn't had all five, um, and so it, it's been it's been a little spotty because of that. That's uh, but true. The, on the bright side, penalty kill looked great. 
Yeah, penalty kill looked okay. That's why you got to keep forward in there. I mean, Scott, maybe, maybe, maybe an answer on the power play. Look, um, well, got Derek Forbert in that front presence. <laughs> Not Forbert. I, I, I got to give credit. <laughs> when they credit did that still. with Chara once. <laughs> yeah, oh, way back God. in the day. That was on. That was the old five on three special. Um, but if Jake DeBrusque continues to play with the piss and vinegar he's been playing with lately, kind of like he was when he first came to the league, when he was in the first power play net front, who knows? I mean, if Taylor Hall, you know, can't do the job when it when it matters most, I mean, Jake DeBrusque could he could be in that spot too. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts. I don't want to put you in a spot, Scott, because you didn't know this question was coming. But what, maybe what you're seeing on the power play? No, I think what you mentioned, like we that unit has obviously been at its best when there's a lot of movement like and you you would see guys pop up in like different spots where you know sometimes Pasnak would end up on his strong side instead of his usual you know one-timer spot sometimes Taylor Hall would be more on the elbow rather than the net front or McAvoy pops up in the circle instead of the, the top and to your point like it seems like that's happening less and it's more like everyone just goes to their spot and then they try to find like the open passing lane. And it's like, well, sometimes you have to do more to create that open passing lane or just throw different looks at teams. Because I think when the Bruins power play is stationary, as good, as talented as all those guys are, it becomes predictable because teams know most likely it's either going to Bergeron in the bumper or Pasternak in, in his wheelhouse in the left circle. And you can, any good penalty kill can key on two things. Like where you break them down is when you have three or four options. And too often the Bruins are, are just limiting themselves like the one or two things that everyone knows they want to do. Yeah. And, and, and and Hall, so Hall and pasta over the past few games, especially have, I can just see the chemistry improving. And what I mean is when sometimes when they're on the power play and sometimes even, even strength, um, they start to get into a cycle where lanes just open up for them. Uh, and they're able to, you know, find each other and know where each other's going to be because they just have been playing together for long enough at this point where they can kind of anticipate that and lanes, lanes open up. Hall has been doing a really good job setting up pasta in those situations. So when you lose pasta on the power play, you kind of Hall can do less, um, you know, certain players um, out on the power play can do less. Yeah. But like, like you said though, that chemistry doesn't really happen if you're not moving your feet without the puck. And I think, you know, Obviously, the Colorado Avalanche, you know, have all-world talent on their power play, but so do the Bruins. Um, but if you watch the Colorado Avalanche power play, you know, they're not they're not successful just because Kale McCarr's out there and just because Nathan McKinnon's out there. They're successful because those individuals are constantly, constantly moving. They're making the penalty killers have a head on a swivel. They're making them chase them, um, get out of position, and and that's that's when those seams open up. If you're just if you're stationary. You're easy to defend. The passing lane will get deflected into the fifth row of the load section, and you'll hear the the TD Garden sound. And um, yeah, and, and Brian, I know I know this is a point you've made before, and and I know like Brick makes it on the broadcast as well as like the importance of getting a shot early in the power play, like winning that first face off and getting a shot in the first five seconds. It seems like too often recently, you know, you're getting 30, 40 seconds into the power play, and the Bruins haven't had a shot yet, and it's like. Mm-hmm. And, like that just can't happen. You gotta get get guys moving around and, and 
try to test the goalie earlier than that. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, totally. Which is why, you know, in the Bruins, there's no excuse not for, the, for them not to be able to do it because you have the best sentiment in, in, in the last 10 years, 10 plus years, taking most of your draws. And that's why uh, face-offs are extremely important. Those 50-50 face-offs, the wingers have to get in there. And they're, they're, they're usually pretty good at that, especially when Bergeron's in the face-off circle. But yes, exactly. You got to get those shots through um, early and often. Did you guys have anything else before we uh, before we go to bed? I just have no. a question. I just have a question. It, was I seeing things or is Taylor Hall missing a tooth now? <laughs> yeah, he, he well, he got that. Uh, he got high-sticked cr- in the face last yeah, night. He, and he, he looks like he's missing. He got cross-checked yeah. in the face, really. And, like, that was, I, and, and it was so hard to see at the time because his mouth was bleeding. So I didn't notice originally like that a tooth was gone. But it looked to me like one and a half teeth are gone. Like one full tooth and a, a half of one of his front teeth or the tooth right next to his front tooth what the heck i just noticed it today when he was well, sitting also, in the penalty box kind of tr- like trying to catch his breath like his mouth was like open and i was like oh, wait a minute he's, a he's ho- missing a tooth he, why are you so surprised he's a hockey player it's a rite of passage i just didn't realize it yesterday and i was like yeah, but- I, I might be crazy but i think he's missing like one and a half teeth now you ever interview Craig Smith and hear Craig Smith say his own name? I think it's the same Craig, two teeth that Craig, Craig Smith's Craig, missing. Craig Smith. <laughs> <laughs> He's got no front teeth. Um, any more brain busters, Bridget? I just wanted to confirm. Okay. All right. Uh, so we'll wrap it up there, I suppose. And um, thanks for listening. Again, thanks to Bouchergrass for joining us. And we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>